Fantastic. How are we doing tonight? Everyone good? Saturday Night Church, this is fantastic. We are, we in Manchester are about to launch Saturday Night Church in October. So I'm here checking you guys out to see whether or not Saturday Night Church works and I'm loving it so far. It is good to be with you. My accent is Australian, even though I was born in England. I moved to Australia when I was two. Um, so my accent's Australian. I've been back in England for 20 years. My wife is from Chile, South America. Both of my children were born in England. They have English accents. We are really confused in our family. And, uh, but this is my first time in California, so I'm, I'm loving it. I've been playing golf the last two days. And how cool it is, is it to see the sun? Because you've got to understand that in England, we have summer once a year on a Tuesday between 2 and 4 in the afternoon. Then the sun is gone, okay? So if you want to know what our weather's like, think, think Seattle and then double it. It's that. It's worse than that. Okay, that, that it rains all the time. But uh, it's so good to be with you, Jared. Thanks so much for the honour of being in your amazing church, Higher Vision Church. Uh, it's so great to see what God is doing. Excited always to be in the house of God and and to spend some time for the King of Kings and looking at the Book of Books to see what He has to say to us. And uh, I just want to take a moment to pray with you, and then we're going to turn to the Word of God together this evening. Father, we want to thank you for our time that we have together. God, we know that in your presence we're changed. We're not just here in a building. God, we're here to encounter you. We're here to encounter your presence. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that God, we know that when we spend moments with you, all we need is just one moment with you and we're changed forever. So I pray, God, would you help me to articulate your word in such a way that God, lives would be changed in this place tonight. That people moving forward would look back at this night and say, that was the night that God, you sowed something into my life and brought change, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, Manchester, England, we're going through an amazing time as a city. You would have seen in the news last month the Ariana Grande concert and the situation that took place there. That venue is literally right next door to our church building. And after the attack that night, we opened our building and we had the fire service and the ambulance and paramedics using our building as an emergency station in the light of that. But, you know, it's been amazing to see how, how in, 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 when difficult situations take place, you know, the, the church of God has the opportunity to rise up. And what I really love is this, is that whenever there's darkness, all we're going to do is shine the light and, and God begins to do things. And so I want to thank you for your prayers for our city. There's a great sense of resolve in our city. We're believing God for good things. We've seen many people turn to Christ in the last six to eight weeks as a result of it. And uh, we, we value your prayers. Certainly as a nation in the continent of Europe, we, we value your prayers as well. I want to start off tonight by asking you this question. Have you noticed... That, that often it, it seems like when, when God gives you a promise, it, it can feel like further down the track, you're further away from that promise coming to pass than when God gave it to you in the first place. Have you noticed that? That, that sometimes in the moment you get excited in church, you get excited in a conference, or maybe you're at home, you're reading the Bible, and God speaks to you and gives you a dream, a, a vision, a promise for a future moment in your life. You get so excited. You can't help yourself. You've you got to tell your spouse. You've got to tell your kids, your best friend. You've got to tell your pastor. You've got to say, wow, God said this. And then it seems like every step after that takes you further and further away from the dream coming to pass. Anyone ever find that that's the case? Okay. I mean, I certainly found that several years ago when we moved to Manchester and we launched our church. You see, in England, uh, in Manchester, we live in a city of nearly 3 million people. There was already 1,100 churches when we launched our church. And the average size church in Manchester was 12 people. 
And when we moved into the city of Manchester, we, we saw a building, a big, big building right downtown, right in the city center. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, that would be an amazing place to start church. That would be an amazing place to have for church. About three acres of land right in the city center, right downtown Manchester. And uh, we, we launched church a few weeks later in just a really small auditorium. When I say small, I mean small. Man, you, you could fit maybe legally 180 people. Legally, you could fit in the building. You could stand on a chair, you could touch the roof. Everything was small. We had one small corridor leaving, leading into our church building. We had three ladies' bathrooms and two men's bathrooms, and that was it. Everything was small. Now, Jared, you've been to England. You know everything's small anyway. Hey, we've got small houses. We've got small cars. We've got small everything. Everything is small. But when we went to Manchester, we had a dream, and the dream was this, is that we would have a church that stops the traffic, numerically so large that it creates traffic jams on a Sunday. Now, all you've got to understand is that doesn't happen in England. I live in Manchester. Manchester's famous for two things, rain and soccer. We have two football teams, two soccer teams, Manchester City, Manchester United, and I live near Manchester United's stadium, and on a match day, it can take me about 90 minutes to drive from my house to our church in the city center, about an hour and a half. On a work day, on a Tuesday morning, Monday morning, it can take me about 45 minutes to drive the same distance. But on a Sunday, it takes me 12 minutes to go the same distance because there's not many people going to church in our city. And so nine years ago, when we moved to the city to launch church, we thought, you know what? The dream that God has given us is to build a church numerically so large that it creates traffic jams on a Sunday. If you were to come with me to an English soccer game, whenever the, 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 the game is boring, whenever the, 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 the goals are low and, and people are disinterested, 60, 80, 100,000 fans will stand to their feet, lift their hands in the air and sing these words, in church, it's just like being in church. It's just like being in church. Because nobody wants to go to church in England. Everybody knows it's boring. Everybody knows it's irrelevant. Nobody's interested in God. But when we moved there nine and a half years ago, we just felt God speak to us about having a church numerically so large that visitors on a Sunday or on a Saturday night in Manchester would be stuck in a traffic jam downtown. And they'd be frustrated. and They'd get the attention of someone from Manchester in another car. And they'd wind down the window and say, what's going on? Is Manchester United playing tonight? And the person in the other car says, no, haven't you heard? God is back. And that was a dream that God put on our hearts nine and a half years ago. We saw a building downtown, massive building. We thought this would be amazing. A church that stops the traffic. That was the dream. That was like a promise that we felt God had put on our hearts. But we launched church in a really small building with 90 people on our first service. The following week, there was 82 people. The following week, there was 78 people. The following week, there was 71 people. The following week, there was 65 people. And we kept, kept losing numbers, and we bottomed out at around 50 people coming to church, which was good news. Because the way we were going, we only had about seven or eight weeks left in us, and then there'd be nobody left in church. And at about 50, church began to grow. People started to come in and people started to connect their lives with Jesus. 
We started to run our ministries out six nights a week working with our homeless, of which is 1,000 or so who are sleeping rough every night in Manchester, working with the girls in the red light district and working with families who were living with cancer. We, we began to see many, many people getting saved. We went from one service on a Sunday to two, two to three, three to four, four to five. Uh, uh, our building could legally seat 180, but in the second service of every Sunday, we would have between 220 to 240 people squeezed in a really small auditorium. The biggest line in Manchester every Sunday was for the ladies' bathrooms after church. Because we would literally have 220 people leaving a service and 220 people coming into a service and hundreds of ladies lining up to do their makeup. I mean, it was pandemonium. And after four years of church growing and people getting connected with Jesus, I got a phone call from a businessman. He said this to me. He said, hey, I hear you've got a growing church. He said, I own an empty building downtown Manchester. If I give you the address, would you come and see the building with us? I said, sure, I'd love to. So on the Monday morning, I drove to see the, this particular address. I went to the address to see the building that he owned. And when I pulled up outside the building, I thought to myself, hey, I've seen this building before. And it was the same big warehouse downtown that my wife and I had seen on our first day in Manchester when we said, that's the building that God wants us to own. We walked through the doors, big massive expanse, uh, no pillars, 10 meters up to the roof. And I said to the man, I said, how much for your building? He said, you can have it for $7 million. I said to him, bro, I ain't got $7 million. Would you accept $3.5 million? And he said, okay. So we shook hands. Now I didn't have the heart to tell him I didn't have $3.5 million. I kind of thought, you know what, God, if you own the cattle on a thousand hills, you, you've got the money for this. And so we went away, we went to the church, we said, hey church, we've got a building, it's an amazing building, it's the building that we showed you on the first ever Sunday of doing church, when we put it on screen and said, one day we're going to own a building just like this, it's that building. We need to take an offering. And over the next six weeks, our church raised about six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000. It was a miracle offering. We went to the bank and we said to the bank, hey, listen, we've got this building. It's an amazing building. It's worth $7 million. We're getting it for three and a half. We've raised about $600,000 as a deposit. And the bank said this. They said, listen, because you're getting the building for half price, then you don't need any money as a down payment, as a deposit. You can move in for six months and lease with a lease to buy. And in six months' time, you can have the ownership papers. We'll give you the mortgage money to pay to buy the building. They said this, use your 600,000 to renovate the facility. So we did. Within seven days, we're in this big warehouse. We spend over the next few weeks around 600,000 renovating it and we do church. It was a dream to go from five services on a Sunday to two services. It was amazing. I could go home on a Sunday afternoon and have half an hour's sleep before going back in the evening. It was just awesome. I could even go to soccer games on a Sunday afternoon before going back to church Sunday night. We did church. And then we came, after six months, we came to our Christmas services. We got an email from the bank. And the email said this, we're really sorry, but we've had a change in our banking regulations and we can no longer offer you the money that we were going to offer you. Even though we have a contract, you can take us to court, but we have a lot of money and we can stretch this out for a long time. Sue us if you want. We'll see you later. And that was the tone of the email 
that we got from the bank. And I realized in that moment that we had seven days to find $3.5 million. Now I checked my back pocket, I checked the bank account, it was not there. My question is this, what do you do when it feels like God has given you a promise for your church, for your family, for your children, for your business, for your ministry, for your small group, for your spouse? What do you do when God gives you a promise, but it feels now like you are further away from the fulfillment of that than ever you have been? That's my question. And what I love about the Bible is this, is that the Bible answers so many questions in the here and now. It may have been written many years ago, but it's still fresh and it's still relevant for us. And the passage we're going to read is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Here's what it says. It says this, Paul speaking, because I was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here we have the Apostle Paul. If you know your Bible, you remember that he had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so here he is, we think in Rome, and he's making his way from where he is to Macedonia to start, to start the church. On his way, he planned to stop in in Corinth. He was going to hang out with the church there. He was going to watch Corinth Football Club play Thessaloniki Football Club. Going to spend a few months in the church, maybe eat some olives, and then go all the way to Macedonia to start a church. Then after doing that, he was going to go back home and visit the church in Corinth again for the second time on the way home. One trip, two visits to Corinth. On my way out to America just last week, I flew from Manchester to London, London to the States. In a few weeks' time when I go home, I'm going to fly back to London and then London up to Manchester. One visit, two trips to London. And that's exactly what he's planning to do here. He promised. He, he, he said to them, did, did, I, did I make this plan likely? Uh, no, he said, no, I was sincere. But the problem was this. Circumstances worked against Paul and he was unable to visit the church in Corinth. And he arrives at this amazing definitive statement of faith because he wants you and I to understand the difference between the promises that God makes to you and the promises that a man or a woman makes to you. You see, here's what we've learned in life. That sometimes when a man or a woman say yes, they actually mean no. Sometimes the no is a yes. Sometimes the yes is a maybe, the maybe is a could be, the could be is a possibly, the possibly is a sometimes, and everybody's confused. 
Nobody trusts each other anymore because when a man or woman say yes, sometimes the yes is a no and the no is a yes and the yes is a maybe, the maybes a could be, the could be's a possibly and everybody's confused. Nobody trusts each other anymore. That's why in the work environment, you sign a contract. Because you say to the boss, hey boss, I promise to work for 40 hours a week. I'm going to hold hold to the core values of this company. And your boss says, I promise to pay you X amount of money. But you don't trust your boss and your boss doesn't trust you. So you sign a contract because in life... A yes is a no, a no is a yes, a yes is a maybe, a maybe is a could be, a could be is a possibly, and everybody's confused. But I'm here to let you know that the Apostle Paul wants you to know in 2017 that God is different. I said God is different. That when God says yes, God means And when God says no, God means God is not confused. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. And the Apostle Paul, he's, he's vexed, he's confused here because he made a promise, but he was unable to fulfill the promise to visit the church in Corinth. But he leaves us with this statement of faith. For no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. For no matter how many promises God has made. Can I ask you this question? How many promises do you think God has made? I mean, I don't know how many people are in this room right now. Let's just say this 300. If there is 10 promises from God for every person in this room, that means that here, right now, there are 3,000 promises that God holds in this room right now. There are 7 billion people on the planet. Would it be fair to say that maybe God has 10 promises for every person on the planet? That's 70 billion promises. Uh, would it be fair to say that in Deuteronomy, where it says that God is faithful to his promises for a thousand generations, my question is this How many billions and trillions and squazillions of promises do you think are floating through the spiritual airwaves right now? I want you to know, church, that God is not struggling to keep up. He's not saying to us in Valencia, hey guys, I am so busy in Colombia right now, I haven't got time for you in Valencia. He's not saying to you tonight, I'm so busy with your next door neighbor, I ain't got time to get get it together for you. God is not like Bruce Almighty with all those post-it notes trying to keep up with all the promises and the prayers that people bring to him. I want you to know right now, the Bible says for no matter how many promises God has made. You see, sometimes what happens is this. We look at the problem and forget about the promise. But I want you to know something tonight, church. God saw the problem before you knew the promise. The Bible says that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He holds the beginning and the end simultaneously with His hands. He is outside of time. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, God saw that it was good. There was the first day and the second day and the third day. God made time. And because he made time, he is outside of time. 
He's not contained by time. The reason Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow is because he is already in tomorrow. Did you know that right now, Jesus is still 10 years ago? Did you know that right now, your deathbed to God is as real right now as what your now is to you right now? God is outside of time. And before you got a promise for your health, for your family, for your children, for your church, for your ministry, for your financial investments, before you got the promise, God saw all the problems even before you knew any promise. For no matter how many promises God has made, He sees all and He knows all and there's nothing too big and nothing too difficult because God saw every hiccup before you did. Some years ago, I was flying out of Melbourne, Australia, a church called Planet Shakers in Melbourne. And we were flying over the outback of Australia. And it's a flight England to Australia. I've done about 110 times or something crazy like that. And I was sitting in a, at a window seat and the pilot said something I've never heard a pilot say. He said, ladies and gentlemen, we are ahead of schedule right now. Air traffic control have said to us, they want us to kill some time. I thought it was an inappropriate word to use at 36,000 feet. He said, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to descend from 36,000 feet to 10,000 feet. And we're going to do a right hand 360 degree turn around Ayers Rock. Now in the middle of Australia, in the middle of a desert, there's a big rock. The Aboriginal word is Uluru. Most people know it as Ayers Rock. If you drive up to Ayers Rock in the middle of the Australian desert in a Jeep, you're going to see this big rock. It is massive. It takes a long time to walk around it. It takes a long time to climb it. But as we circled it from 10,000 feet, I thought to myself, doesn't look that big to me. <laughs> hey, I've got a question for you. How do you big, how big do you think your problem is to a God who sits on an eternal throne where the angels fly around singing, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. I reckon the size of our problem is like sand on the seashore. We don't even think think about it. And God, I'm sure a few years ago was looking at me and saying, Glenn, I saw that the building was going to fall through before you knew it was going to fall through. Hey boy, don't worry about the three and a half million. That is just like a speck of sand on the seashore. For no matter how many promises God has made. You see, right now, my children have just landed at LAX. My wife has just gone to pick them up. We're excited about seeing them in an hour or two. My children, they're crazy. I mean, they're crazy. It's because their mum's Latin American. That's what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame the Hispanic thing over there. Is that okay? Uh, I'm married to her. I can do that. She's not here, so she can't kill me. But it's all right. If she killed me, she'd raise me from the dead just so she can kill me again. Uh, uh, my children, 16 and 13, they were both born on the 22nd of August, three years apart. It's because we're disciplined. That's a whole other session for a whole other time. Uh, my kids, uh, I remember when my son was three and my daughter was six. We had just planted the church in Manchester. My wife was on the south coast of England. She was speaking at a conference. And so I had my children for the weekend. I said to my kids on this particular Saturday, I said, hey, kids, we're going to go to the mall. They said, oh, dad, we don't want to go to the mall. I said, kids, listen, if you're really good, after the eighth shop, 
I'm going to take you to your favorite shop. My kids are crazy. You see, their, their favorite shop wasn't the Disney store or a toy shop or anything like that. Their favorite shop is a shop called Boost Juice. Boost Juice is a place you go to to get smoothies. And they charge you about $4,000 for a really small cup. We get in the car, we're driving to the mall. My three-year-old son said to my six-year-old daughter, he said, Georgia, what supplement do you want in your mango magic? Because they love mango magic. My daughter, she says, I want the lime grass. And he said, I want the detox agent. I'm thinking, you kids are freaks. We get to the mall. We go to the first shop. My son says, Mango Magic, because that's the drink he wants. Mango Magic, no, no, yeah. Second shop, Mango Magic, no, no, yeah. Third shop, Mango Magic, no, no, yeah. Fourth shop, Mango Magic, no, no, yeah. Fifth shop, they're not being annoying. They just can't count. Sixth shop, Mango Magic, no, no, yeah. Seventh shop, eighth shop, Mango Magic, yeah, come on, kids, Mango Magic. We held hands. We skipped like Mary Poppins through the mall. And we get to Boost Juice. I'm waiting in a line of 10 people. Now, I'm not patient at the best of times, but I love my kids. Finally, we got to the counter. I said, hey, uh, we're like two children's size uh, mango magics, please. One with the lime grass and one with the, the detox agent. The lady says, oh, sir, that'll be $15. I said, thank you so much. I give her my bank card. She goes, sir, I'm really sorry. We don't accept card. We only accept cash. I thought to myself, man, what planet am I in? That we only accept cash. I felt like saying, should we bring a camel and barter next time? I felt like saying that, but maybe she came to our church. I didn't want to offend her. You know what I mean? So I said to the kids, come on, kids. We're going to have to find an ATM. We walked all the way through the mall. Every ATM had a sign saying, out of order, apart from one. And there was a line of about 60 people. 60 people lining up behind the ATM machine. Now, I love my children. Just not that much. So I said, hey, kids, uh, let's just keep shopping. Let's see if the line goes down. And the kids stopped talking about Mango Magic. And then I saw a sign, car park. Uh, we went through the door. We got into the car. I heard the click clack of the seatbelt as I'm backing out of my parking space. My son looks up. He goes, Dad, Mango Magic. And then my daughter's, Mango Magic, Mango Magic. I said, but kids, it's impossible. Do you see how difficult it was? I went through all the difficulties of how difficult it was. And then my son, three years of age, far more theologically aware than most Christian adults, he said this. He said, but daddy, you promised. I wanted to kill him. <laughs> Seriously, I wanted to grab him by the ankles, hold him upside down, say, anyone want a three-year-old? You can have him now. No paperwork needed. Take him away. I said, but kids, it's so difficult. And then my daughter, six years of age, she goes, daddy, I know what we'll do. If you take the freeway to the other side of Manchester... There's a bank over there, Daddy. And they always have money for you. And we'll wait in the car. And we promise we'll be really good in the car. And then you can come back and you can take us to get a Mango Magic on the other side of the city in the other mall. I said, but kids, it's so far. They said, but Daddy, you promised. You see, to a child, my friend, problems don't hinder promises. And I want you to know that in your life, you may have a promise and the problems may seem great. The, prob the problems may seem huge, but in God's economy, problems never hinder God's promises because he saw the problem before you knew the promise. 
It's the way God works, which is why Paul says, for no matter how many promises God has made, he says this, they're yes in Christ. And so through him, so through him, so through him. You see, the point is this I'm trying to make, is not only in God's economy, is it fair to say that problems don't hinder God's promises, but the second thing I want to leave you with is this, is that Jesus Christ is the vehicle to the promise. Pastor Jared already mentioned that a few moments ago, that the promises of God for you, for your spouse and for your children, for your health, for your mental health, for your financial investments, for your church, for your ministry, the only way that those promises can be achieved are not you doing it your way, but you doing it His way. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ and so through him. Some years ago, I landed in Perth, Western Australia. I got off the plane. I took my bags out into the waiting area. There was a limousine driver in a gray suit and a gray flat cap. He had a sign with my name, Glyn Barrett, G-L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T. My parents are from Wales. That's why I have a first name with no vowels in it. G-L-Y-N. The limousine driver had this sign, my name. I walked up and said, G'day, I'm Glenn. He said, hey, come with me. Uh, the car's outside. He, he took my bags to this white stretch limousine outside. He opened the door. He said, would you like to get in? I said, no, no, this is a Kodak moment. You'll only get that if you're over 35. <laughs> Kodak moment. I, I look into the limousine and I see in there there's a, there's a mini bar with Cokes and, and lemonades. There's, there's an Xbox in there and I'm thinking, man, I, I said to the limousine driver, how far is it to the venue? He said, it's about four hours. This didn't seem to make sense to me. How could it be four hours to the venue where the conference was to the hotel? But what did I know? I was jet lagged. I'd just flown from England. As I'm getting into the limousine, I hear somebody over here shout out, Hey, Glenn, where are you going? So I looked across and saw my pastor friend pulling up in his car. Said, I'm going with a limousine driver. And my friend says to the limousine driver, Who are you? And the limousine driver says, Well, who are you? They had a conversation. And it turned out I was the wrong Glenn Barrett getting in the wrong car. Then on the same flight as me, out of London Heathrow, there was another passenger called Glyn Barrett, same spelling, who was going to speak at a mining convention in outback Western Australia. Now look at me. Do I look like I know anything about mining? Here's the point. If I would have got in the wrong vehicle, I would have gone on the wrong journey, seen the wrong sights, ended up at a point in my life that we would call midlife crisis, going, what on earth am I doing here? You see, church, the vehicle you get in determines where you go in life. My son rang me yesterday. He was really upset. He goes, Dad, I can't find my penny board, his skateboard. I said, mate, where have you looked everywhere? He said, I've looked everywhere. We, uh, I started to talk him through the different cupboards, the places that he likes to stash his penny board. Until finally last night, he, he, he texts me, he goes, Dad, it's all right, I found my penny board, I left it at church on Wednesday night. And I know that right now in Las Vegas, uh, sorry, at LAX, that my son 
is on his penny board riding it through the airport with security guards chasing him. I remember when I had a skateboard. I used to love my skateboard. I could go up and down the road on it. And then when I got a bicycle, I discovered I could go around the block. I could ride to school. And then when I got my driver's license, I was living in England at the time. I, I could drive from England. I could go all the way to Scotland. I could drive all the way across to, across to Wales. Uh, and, and, then, and then when I got in a plane, I discovered that on a plane, I can fly around the world. Uh, I've never been in a rocket, but I know that on a rocket, you can go to completely different planets. You see, the vehicle that you get in determines where you go. And my friend, with these promises that you carry, you can do it in your own strength, the vehicle of your own strength, or you can realize that if you do it through Jesus, then all things are possible. That's why he says here, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Church, hear this, over every promise for your family, for your friends, for your business, for your finances, for your career, for your ministry, God says yes, 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 yes. But it only, it can only ever be achieved through him. Oh man, I haven't got time to tell you the stories that I've tried to shortcut the purposes of God. When I was a youth pastor for 12 years, and I looked at my pastor and I thought he was getting in the way of what God wanted to do, but I had to learn the lesson, God, I can only do this through you. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 3, that through him all might may believe. John 1, 7, that through him all things were made. Romans eleven thirty six 36, for from him and to him and through him are all things. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, Paul wants you to know that when God made you a promise, it wasn't like a promise that a man makes or a promise that a woman makes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Listen over your children right now, yes. I don't know which one of you mums in this room right now, you, you've been... You've been going to bed and crying over where your sons and daughters are at. God speaks over the promises that he made to you about them. He says yes. Over the promise he made over your marriage, he said yes. Those times when you were praying and God gave you a promise maybe for, for ministry, God says yes, yes, yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. I need to finish, but I'm going to finish with this. You see, God says yes, but notice what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. We have to say amen. Amen means this, so be it. God, let it be. And we have this amazing moment in Scripture where Jesus Christ, He comes. The God-man, hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. God clothed in humanity. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth 2,000 years ago. We have this moment, the Bible says that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays to his Father. He says, Father, may this cup pass by me. But then in that moment, the Son of God remembered that God said yes. The Father said yes over salvation. He said yes over your salvation. He said yes over the salvation of your children. 
He said yes over the salvation of this valley, of this state, of this nation. God said yes, yes, yes. And Jesus, maybe in that moment, he, he recalled the verse that says, the Lamb of God was slain since before the foundation of the earth. And as Jesus sweat great drops of blood, Father, may this cup pass by me. He remembered yes. But I want you to know that with the promises of God for your children, for your health, for your life, Yes is not enough. You have a part to play. You have to say, Amen. Amen. And Jesus, he prayed this, but not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, Jesus said, Amen. In that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, said, I commit to walking through the process in order to fulfill the promise. Most Christians that I meet in England believe more in magic than they do in miracles. Magic is when somebody else does it all. But every miracle that we read about in Scripture took the full participation of every person needing the miracle. Naaman, you've got leprosy, but go and dip yourself seven times in the river. The one with the withered hand, stretch it out. The one who was lame and couldn't walk, stand up and walk. Miracles always require our full participation. And Jesus said this. He said, amen. He said, I will walk through the process in order to fulfill the promise. This is really tough. Because usually the process for all of us involves our character being molded and melted and shaped and made. And I'm 45 years of age, and I still find that even now, God is more interested in the process than in just the fulfillment of the promise. I say to God, God, I want the promise. I want the promise. And God says, I want you to walk the process. The bank phoned. They sent the email. We can no longer, they said, give you the money that you need. And I realized we only had seven days to find $3.5 million. You know what I did? I got on my knees. There was a pastor friend in my office and we prayed together. And I prayed three words. I looked up to heaven and I said, Daddy, you promised. We didn't have the three and a half million. And in seven days' time, we were going to stand in front of our church, Christmas weekend services, and say, church, I know we've spent 600000 in this place, and, and it's been an amazing thing, but we have to get out in the next 24 hours. We've got to leave it. And all those sorts of things are upon us. But all I could remember was just simply this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us. I was saying amen, amen. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I say amen. God, I'll walk through the process whatever it may be. Do you know, within an hour of me praying that prayer, I got a phone call from a man I'd never met in my life. He said this, he rang me. He said, I hear you're looking for a building. I said, I found a building. I just need some money. He said, how much do you need? I said, three and a half million. He said, when do you need it by? I said, next Friday. He said, you've cut it close, haven't you? <laughs> he then asked me a theological question, Pastor Jared. I'll tell you that question in a minute. I gave him the answer. This is a Friday afternoon. He said, come and see me on Monday. So on Monday, I drove three hours to meet a man I'd never met in my life. I went to his office. His office wasn't fancy. He jumped in my car. I took him for a meal. 
at this meal, he ordered the most expensive food. He ordered an expensive bottle of wine for himself. We talked for an hour. He finished the food, he drank all the wine, and then he went home. And I paid for the bill. And I thought, God, this is messed up. I drove three hours home. My wife said to me, baby, what happened? I said, I have no idea. But every day that week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, I was on my knees saying, Daddy, you promised I don't know what to do apart from just fall on your mercy. And I remember that you said yes. And so I'm saying, amen, I don't know what the process is. I don't know what it is you want me to learn, but I'll walk through the process to attain the promise. And no word of a lie, 10 to 5, on the last working day before Christmas, 10 minutes to go. In 10 minutes, we're going to lose the building. I get a phone call. It's a block number on my cell phone. I pick it up. I said, hey, it's Glenn. And this person says, hey, Glenn, uh, it's such and such a person. Do you remember? You took me out for a meal last Monday. I said, I remember. <laughs> he said, are you sitting down? I said, no. He said, sit down. I said, okay. I sat down. I said, what's up? He says, I've decided I'm going to give you the money. I started to cry. I had a friend sitting in my office. He started to cry. He was crying because I was crying. The guy on the other side of the end of the phone, he was crying because he was giving me three and a half million dollars. And in the space of the next 10 minutes, we managed to get the owner, the lawyer, the agent on the phone, and we were able to prove funds, and we were able to do the transfer. And at the end of the transfer, as we walked away with the title deed to this amazing facility, I thought to myself this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's five years ago. And right now, we're about to build a facility on our same site that's going to cost us $30 million. Listen, I've checked the bank account. It ain't there. But you know what I'm doing? I'm just getting on my knees and saying, Daddy, you promised. And I don't know what promise you're carrying. I don't know how big the problems are in front of you. But I do know this, that the one who said yes simply requires of us to say amen. And if we're prepared to engage in the process, then we can see the promises of God come to pass. And I want to pray for you right now. I'm